Alright, we're here again live, just as we promised, and uh, this is the Bishop's Think Tank. This is not your ordinary podcast for those people who are just looking to be entertained or to get commentary, but this is, uh, uh, these are very interesting, challenging stories or scriptures that are actually in the Bible, and we want to take the time to dissect them, to pull them apart. So this is not for your normal Joe, but this is uh, for those persons who might find themselves interested in looking at the gospel. Because you will find out in the Bible that there are many scriptures or many things that uh, to the normal eye don't check out. For instance, and I'll give you a perfect example in the book of Genesis if you did not know any better, you would think that man was created more than once. And there are some people who argue that point uh, by trying to solidify the fact that, that is why we have people on the moon and on other planets, that there are people who have lived. But this particular scripture, when we look at it, we don't take it as man be, being created more than once. I will say to you that the dust of the earth uh, and the dust of the moon are two totally different substances. But anyway, our subject today is the scripture that is written inside of our Bible where the woman has been caught in adultery. The woman has been caught in adultery. This is a very interesting scripture because as we look at it, and as we begin to uh, dissect it, you're going to find many parts of it that are interesting, many parts of it that are challenging. Excuse me for that brief pause, but I wanted to make sure uh, that I was actually coming across live as well as the fact because my headset does not seem to be working as I would uh, desire for it to work, but we're just going. You can hear us, we're going to assume that, but anyway. As we're looking at this particular scripture, I've got to be honest with you. There are many theologians and scholars uh, that when they look at this text, they say it is out of place. There are some that say that it should not even be uh, placed here in the scripture because we know the Bible is not in chronological order. Then we've got to uh, embrace the fact that this story may not be in its proper place. But then the question is asked of many, and I will ask the same of you, when we look at this particular text, uh, why is it even placed in this position? Why is it even a part of the Bible? And why is it placed in this position? And So we've got to do a lot of things. I will tell you that whenever you're studying any text, you must understand the pretext. That is the textual reference that has been written beforehand. You must understand the post-text. 
That is the text that has been written after the text. And then you must understand the context. That is the text that you're actually dealing with. So when we look at this and we begin to try to study this, we've also got to place it in its time. Many people say to us, because we have a real hard problem trying to interpret uh, any text because we try to interpret it with a 21st century mindset. You got to realize that in that particular day, there were customs of the time. There were rituals of the time. There were things that were totally different. They had not been exposed or open to a lot of things that we have been exposed and open to. So it, it would make the uh, text, if we were in a different time, more challenging. We would have to, and we have to now, while we are studying to show ourselves approved, workmen unto God that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We got to try to think as if we are in that century of time. So it would change the text. Women were chattel. They were property. They were not uh, recognized as individuals or people. A man would actually have a note, and that note would uh, say that the woman actually was his property. So when we look at things like that, we know that women were not respected. We know that uh, they were not even counted as people, as human. They did not have the same rights. They did not have the same relationship. And they were thought of as low in the temple. So when we look at this, we've also got to look at uh, the fact that this is a Jewish scripture. And when being translated, there are a lot of words or a lot of actions that get lost in its original transliteration. For example, if you will look at this in several translations, you will see that this scripture is actually inside of parentheses, which automatically says to us it has been changed, it has been rewritten, so that its textual context, when it is now read in our day and time, is not that of which it would have been in that damn time. Then we've also always got to look at other people. And I will tell you that commentators are no different than we are. They are studying. They're taking information. They are with a fine-tooth comb, with a, a microscope, tearing apart the text and looking for things that might be interesting or things that might be strange. They're trying to find something. The needle in the haystack. Why is the scripture written? Why is it written like this? Why are there certain elements that are left out? So there are a lot of things that we have to look at in dealing with this text. We also have to look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees who, uh, you know, in simplicity, the uh, Pharisees was fair, you see, and the Sadducees were sad, you see. Uh, th those are just uh, ways of remembering the characteristics. These groups rose up during the time uh, between uh, uh, 
the Old Testament and the New Testament, these groups rise up and they get their prominence because all of a sudden they start to rise up and they start to become thinkers, the thinkers of that day, like the Gnostics. Uh, uh, the Gnostics. Uh, these people, are, these groups start to rise, the zealots, they rise up because they want to give an interpretation of the time. By the same token, when the commentaries, uh, t- commentators look at these particular scriptures, they're looking at them like we are with a critical eye. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to make sure that they are deciphering a scripture or dissecting a scripture as much as to get the total or the true text or true context out of it. So again, as we look at the background, we've got to look at um, Jesus' relationship with the Pharisees because in the New Testament, the Pharisees appear to have had a, a conflict with Jesus considering that Jesus' association with known sinners and unclean people, his his style, his 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 background, the way that he did things was not according to the law. So it be, it makes a clash between Jesus and the Pharisees because they believe that things needed to be a certain way, almost uh, in a controlling way. And in fact, we see the uh, Pharisees joining forces with the Sadducees, which is normally what happens whenever someone wants to tie up or to entangle someone, because normally our enemies don't agree on anything until they agree that they are after us. So whenever we see the, 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 the tying together or the joining of forces of the Pharisees and Sadducees, we got to realize that that, uh, that there's usually opposition. And so for them to confront Jesus or to try to come after Jesus uh, is an interesting thing. We see this eventually happening uh, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verses... Uh, no, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 1, excuse me. We see this happening then because uh, they're trying to lead Jesus to the place of his crucifixion. So some of the Pharisees were receptive to Jesus' words, and some even became part of the Christian church. And so the Pharisees, uh, one famous Pharisee is Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night uh, because his life was in change. Uh, was changed because he had an encounter with Jesus. But then you have the Sadducees, and the Sadducees' background comes from Hebrew, that means the just or the right ones, and uh, they they come from the name of the Zadoks. That's Z A D O K, and they're an established group during uh, the dynasty of Hasmonean. And they are priests and aristocrats who are born into positions of power, and they are favored by the elite. And they are sitting in the temple in the Sanhedrin, and they're the Jewish ruling council. And their main goal is to keep Judaism to be the center or to be sacrificial system of the temple. They want to make sure that the Torah, the first five books of Moses, the Hebrew scriptures, the Hebraic scriptures are forever held together and 
They do not believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in demons. Uh, but they are the outside rulers and they maintain power as long as the temple sacrifices are continued. So for Jesus to do anything that was totally different from what was normally done in the temple, it would automatically create a problem. Of course, again, we say the Pharisees, uh, which come from the Hebrew word suggesting one who is separate, is an established group also during that dynasty. But they are laymen with enough training that they could become the teachers or the rabbis or the scribes of the day. And they're popular uh, with the average people. They have some of the same goals and almost similar, except they are not uh, this prestigious, pristine group that we are used to. So as we begin to look at this, we know that the scripture is recorded. John's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 53. Then it follows in chapter 8 and verse 6. Jesus has just left the Mount of Olives, a common place for Jesus to give his lessons and his teaching. It is early morning when he comes to the temple and the scribes and Pharisees meet up with Jesus and they bring this woman who has been caught in adultery. And they explained to him the law of Moses. Because if we look at the law of Moses, the law of Moses says that because she has been caught, and notice their wording, she has been caught in the very act. She should be stoned. But when we look at this text, we've got to look at the motive and the intent, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were trying to tie the hands of Jesus. They were trying to trick him. They were trying to get him to answer in a certain way. Jesus, being a man full of wisdom and knowledge, recognizes this. So as he looks at this, uh, because he always looks at the intent and the motive behind anything that's going on, especially in that day and dealing with religious rulers. Same thing must be prominent in our day. We've got to be careful when we speak and we've got to be careful when we answer because there are those who have the spirit of the Sadducees and Pharisees who are waiting for an answer that does not gel with their way of thinking. So, uh, some people say the scripture is in the errancy. Uh, some people saying it should not even have been included. Some people are saying it's so strange and that's why we don't see it uh, as an account in the other gospels. But there is some reason why John thinks that this particular is, scripture is important. And remember, uh, we, we, we need an intricate, intimate portrait of who Jesus is. And in order to understand that, we know him through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and through John. John is the one who gives us the intimate uh, portrait. It is John who Jesus lays his head in his breast and shows emotions. But here, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they want to test Jesus, but their motive and their intent was wrong. The truth of the matter is this scripture at this time, at this place, does not fit. 
So as they're seeking to trap Jesus, they're seeking to to, to get Jesus off of his uh, 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 stoop, choosing to try to tangle and entangle him, we recognize that this is not in chronological order. So Jesus handles this particular situation with wisdom and with knowledge because he recognizes, one, that these two groups that are enemies of Christianity and enemies of Jesus uh, are not seeking for anything great. They're actually seeking to uh, try to discredit Jesus. So Jesus' answer to him is let him who has no sin, let him who has no sin, let him who has no sin in his life cast the first stone. So he's looking uh, for those who are judgmental, for those who uh, recognize that they can bring this woman into accusation only if they have not committed any sin in their life. And when Jesus looks up, they left. They had gone, they had gone away. And I believe this one uh, particular scholar writes that the elders left first, leaving the younger people behind. But they left because of what they heard Jesus say, not so much necessarily from what Jesus wrote on the ground. But the question uh, has always plagued me as to what did Jesus write on the ground. Why did Jesus stoop down? Some scholars say Jesus stooped because he was giving them enough time to uh, look over their lives. He was giving them enough time to do introspection. He was giving them enough time to examine themselves. He was giving them enough time to think. So while thinking that he's writing, but then again, the question arises, um, what was Jesus writing on the ground? So while Jesus was writing here, they began to leave. But, but most scholars believe that he leaves, the people leave because of what he says. Not so much what he wrote. Let him who has no sins. In other words, if you have no sin in your life, then you can condemn her. But I'm sure all of you have been guilty of something, some fraction of a matter. You've been guilty of something. And it's interesting because we live in a day and time even now where people are so busy. We equate some sins on a different level than others. We say some sins are higher, you know. Uh, some sins are not as high. But Jesus is not even appealing to the categories of sin, but he's appealing to the fact he who has no sin, let him cast the first stone. And after introspection, it is believed by some scholars that these um, men standing here are by no means going to act like they have no sin in their life. Now, I must also bring an interesting point out at this time, and I wish this was more dialogue and us. There are people who are listening to me live who actually have the opportunity 
to dialogue and I wish that we could dialogue and that I could see your responses because the other part of this is I want to submit to you that the man that she was caught in adultery with was in the crowd. Let me say that again. I want to submit to you that the man that she was caught in adultery with was in the crowd. However, when she was presented to Jesus, she was presented to Jesus alone. The Bible says, or, or the law of Moses says, that both persons were to be stoned. But isn't it interesting that when this presentation is made, maybe because they were trying to see what Jesus was going to say, or see if he was going to use his uh, inert powers to discern who the man was. But the man was not presented with her. So we look at the first facts. Uh, that Some say that this copy uh, or this story is an error. And some say that this story uh, should have been omitted. And that's why it is omitted in the other Gospels. But this story shows us Jesus and his wisdom and his knowledge and his grace in handling situations. Uh, this is by far, and I, 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 I wanted to argue this, but it is by far the most famous passage of John. I wanted to believe that the man at the pool of Bethesda, because we hear it preached so much, was, but this is the most looked for, the most sought after text in the book of John, uh, the, the famous passage of the woman who's caught in adultery. But then the question is asked when it is inserted in this particular place, because it is also believed that some of the translators or writers, as they translated, did not do uh, such a marvelous job. So it is also asked, did John record it? And why would John record it? Why did not Matthew, Mark, Luke uh, record it? Only John recorded it. So some transcripts have been in other places. Some transcripts have uh, it, like Luke, in a different place other than this. But John Calvin says that the scripture has or it contains nothing unworthy of an apostolic spirit. So we must apply it to its advantage. Bonhoeffer wants us to look at the relationship as we look at this particular text of Jesus' knowledge and how he handles each person even when they are caught in sin. So the question again becomes, where is the man? Because we recognize to commit adultery, it takes two. The people were not concerned with the man. They were concerned with how Jesus would handle this woman and handle the law. So for that matter, only the woman is challenged. Thereby showing they did not want justice. They, they did not uh, uh, want to really see what this rabbi 
who was astute in the Jewish law, who was astute of the laws of his day, they were not interested in him giving righteous justice and judgment, but they were more interested in a way and the ability to trap Jesus. But they, they, they failed to remember that Jesus had just left the mount. He just left the place of wisdom. He just left the place of instruction. He had just left from being in the presence of the Father. So Jesus has to carefully answer the text. But then the question still remains. What did Jesus write on the ground? Some say he was writing the Ten Commandments. Some say he was writing inserts to the Book of Life. He was writing uh, the sins of each and every one of the persons to the point that when the elders saw their sins on the ground, they left. Some say he was dealing uh, in such a transitional time. That Jesus was writing in the earth, in the dust, the sins of man because it is impossible to be human and to be and to come from the clay and not know sin. Jesus was showing them that if they were going to condemn this woman of her sins, surely their sins needed to be taken into account. But I want to enter in discussion and in dialogue as we look at this particular astute text because we've got to look at it in such a way that our minds are broadened beyond the fact that she is a woman, broadened beyond the fact that she is caught in the sin of adultery, broadened beyond the fact that we know what the Mosaic law says, but how do you grasp a hold of the wisdom of God in dealing with this and showing mercy? Surely if one wants mercy, he must be willing to display mercy, but there's got to be more to this text. So I'm asking you to write, to text, do whatever you do so that we can have dialogue as we look at this text. Because it is interesting that this woman is caught in adultery, but Jesus does not handle her as other people will. Be blessed and have a great day as we begin this discussion.